Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own this morning, that we may hear your word and the vision that you have given Chapelwood through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Psalm chapter 139, verses 1 through 6, in the New Revised Standard Version. Hear these words. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're in the second week of a three-week series talking about the journey of, the, of discipleship, talking about how we take those <laughs> steps. The first Sunday, last Sunday, uh, we had Rhonda Taylor share with us about her hearing the call to take her next step, and then the result, the uh, actions that she took, and the experiences that she had. I'd be willing to say that that um, step and journey of discipleship has a two-step feeling to it. That there is this one step of, of hearing the call, whether it's internal, Jesus calling you to become a Christian, or whether it's external, your church encouraging you to take your next step in raising a generation in faith. Or maybe it's something passionate that has called you beyond the church to be involved in the lives of others and to make a difference on behalf of Jesus, right? These calls come and our ability to hear and take our next step is a powerful thing. Now, um, I would say that uh, taking your next step is an important part of life. Um, I often heard, I, I don't know about you, um, you know, I, I like to tell the world around me what I'm gonna do, right? I, I, like, um, I, I like to um, uh, you know, tell God, uh, this is what I'm interested in, this is what I'll do, this is my next step, right? Um, in fact, I like to think about Mary Oliver's poem, uh, A Summer Day, as a great way to think about what we do with ourselves Mary Oliver says at the end of that poem, she says, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Tell me, right? It's almost like we need to speak into the world exactly what we're going to do so that the world knows what we'll do with our one wild and precious life. Now, when I was a kid, I talked way too much. When I was in high school, I talked too much. When, I mean, great training to be a preacher, right? Um, when I was in college, I talked too much. And when I was in seminary, I talked too much, right? I often heard from when I was young, 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 all the way up into teenage years, Peter, do you know why God gave you two ears and one mouth? Because you should listen twice as much as you talk. Right? So telling, that's an interesting idea. But what if we listened, listened to what our next step might be? Parker Palmer, uh, he's a 
wonderful theologian, wonderful spiritual um, formation guide. Um, he writes a small book called Listen to Your Life Speak. Short little volume, um, great reading, uh, quick reading. We give that to every person coming through ordination in the United Methodist Church. We want them to take a few minutes to read through that and to listen to Parker Palmer's wisdom and the core piece in listen to your life speak um, is a simple kind of question. The question is, before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. I mean, listening so much harder than just telling, right? Listening to what's going on, listening to your dreams and fears, listening to what the people around you who love and respect you tell you what your gifts are, listen to what God speaks over you. If you want to go on the journey of discipleship, it's a two-step process, and it repeats over and over again. Listen to the call, take your next step. The second piece is once you have both feet planted firmly on the ground, look around and listen, so that you might know yourself, so that you might hear what your life is speaking, so that you might know what your purpose is. When we look towards scripture, Psalm 139, we find um, the NRSV um, entitles this psalm the inescapable God. Um, a lot of scholars say that Psalm 139 is really a psalm written uh, in the exile, right? Remember, uh, very simplistic ter- uh, description of Old Testament history. Um, the Israelites did not do what God said. God said a prophet's coming. When a prophet comes, it's never a good thing. The prophet comes, the Israelites still do the wrong thing. God says, huh, consequences, carries them all off to Babylon. That would, you could think of that as like a metaphorical timeout. You know, we, at our house, timeout's the back hallway, but apparently in the Old Testament, timeout is Babylon. Um, and they stay there for generations. You're not laughing. I'm hoping this is making sense, right? Um, and so they're in Babylon, right? They're away from everything that makes them who they are, right? Do I have any Aggies in the room? None. Okay. I was expecting like a verbal whoop. Okay, right, okay. Right, right, right. Can you be an Aggie if you're not on campus, right? Can, can you do yell practice alone, right? Can, can, can you do all of those wonderful traditions in New York City, right? Some of you are saying yes, right? But it's debatable. It's so much easier to do it when you're on campus, right? To be an Aggie, to say and do all those things, right? Same principle here in the Old Testament in terms of the exile, right? They're taken from their homeland. And so the psalmist writes 139 as a reminder that God knows us deeply even when we have been driven from the place that gives us identity. And so when we look at Psalm 139, especially the six verses that I have pulled out for us today, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from far away. Full stop. Let's let's think about this for a second. Seeming as if it's a little bit creepy and awkward, right? Have you listened to the words? You weren't doing your grocery list, were you? 
right? We've just said that God searches us, knows us, knows us when we sit and when we rise, knows our thoughts before far away. The next verse is about to say, you know the words even before they are on our tongue. It'd be easy in our current environment with all the ways in which technology listens to us, predicts our behavior, that you might wanna say, whoa, I'm not gonna do Facebook or Google. If it's like God, that's terrifying, right? This idea of knowing, you're not gonna laugh. Okay, I'm moving on, that's all right. This whole knowing could be scary. Well, what if God knows about us what we are trying to keep hidden from others? But see, the psalmist in exile, the psalmist says, this is a good thing that God knows me. In fact, in verse five, the psalmist says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Uh, The last verse, verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. This is a good thing the psalmist is saying. What do we do with this word hem? Him is such an interesting word, right? Um, you, you know, is it saying that God is so good to us that he keeps us, he hems our pants well so we don't have high waters? <laughs> right? Or what do you do with this hem word? If we look in the Hebrew behind it, we get three different definitions. Uh, one of the definitions is confine. Is that a good? That seems strange, right? God is so good, knows everything I do, and confines me. It doesn't seem like the right message, right? When we look at the second definition of him, it's besiege. Yeah, I'm not so sure that works either. God knows everything about me, knows when I sit, when I rise, and besieges me. Seems like a strange word. Would you agree? Give me an amen if so. Amen. All right, thank you. I'm glad you're there. The third definition is protect. Well, now that starts to work, right? God knows me very well. God knows when I stand and when I sit, knows my thoughts from afar, knows the words before they're on my tongue, and God protects me from what's around. Do you hear that love and that beauty in the Psalm 139? The psalmist uh, goes on to talk about this kind of fully known, right? Uh, The psalmist says later on in verse 7 through 12, that you knit me together in my mother's womb, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. These are beautiful words of being known, right? That, that, Lord, you know me even when I'm away from the Holy Land. Lord, you know me even when the temple has been raised. Lord, you know me even when I cannot sing the songs of Zion. I am known. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, for a moment there, I want to say that um, being known can be quite vulnerable, Right? Having no secrets, having everything known, right? Um, if you want to use the image um, from the dogs at our house, right? When, when, when our dogs know they're in trouble, I don't know if your dogs do this, we have cute little dogs. Um, our, favorite brand, uh, our favorite breed of dog is rescue, right? Um, and so when our cute little rescue dogs right, know that they're in trouble, they roll over, before we even get near, right? Like I'm this far away, rolls over on his back and goes, right? <laughs> I believe this is doggy language for, you got me. I got nothing to hide. Take me, punish me, I'm sorry, right? This vulnerability is risky. That to be known so well that you have no secrets to hide means that that the person that knows you so well could possibly take advantage of you. 
But, but put the shoe on the other foot. If you've ever been somebody who's hidden a secret for a long time from those around you, terrified how the secret would damage you and them, or if you've known somebody who's had a secret that could have hurt and damaged themselves and others, and they kept it for as long as they could, or maybe even you've read in the news about people who had secrets that they kept from others that would have been damaging, right? The moment the secret becomes truthful, becomes aware that, that people know this about you, Sure, there's great betrayal, pain, and suffering, but every one of those folks in that deep secret would have said that it is freeing to no longer have to maintain the secret anymore. To be known is to be loved. I'd say that if you wanted to summarize Psalm 139, the psalmist is saying that our lives derive from God, that our lives belong to God, and that our destination for our life lived is in God. It's a beautiful thing. So when we think about knowing ourselves, guess what? Somebody knows us better than we know ourselves. It's not an ambiguous, unknowable thing to discern who we are. All we have to do is listen to the inescapable God who formed us, loves us, and uh, sustains us. So there are some ingredients, I would say, to knowing yourself. Jake, if you'll, yep, ingredients for, really we're talking about a call here. Um, those ingredients look like, give me another slide. I'm using math here because I know a lot of you are engineers. I don't really know how to do that, but it, I'm sure y'all do. Um, and so there's math up there, right? X, Y, and Z, passion, gifts, and personality. If you want to plot where your call is, you've got to be willing to take a measurement of your passion. You've got to be willing to take a measurement of your gifts, and you've got to know what your personality is. These are three crucial things to knowing yourself. Having taken your next step, how do you know what your following step will be? I would say it's a mixture of those three things. If we take the first one, we look at personality. Uh, Jake, if you'll. Personality is how you are wired to lead and to play. Over this last uh, weekend, we did a staff retreat with all the staff. We gave them a personality assessment. We told them about their results, and then we played a game together. And it was fascinating how much each person in the game had a different role, and they worked a different way. Um, in fact, wiring so important. We'll go to the next. You know, that, you know, I mean, right, right, right. Like you could say, well, I want you to change the way you're wired. You okay? Um, so you see the red wire, it's kind of in the middle of the screen, a little bit above, it kind of goes across like this. Unplug that one and put it in over on the top right corner, right? Yeah, it's not that easy. You can't just rewire the way that you are. God's wired you for a reason. What would it be like for you to know what you're wired for? Now, we played one of those word games on staff retreat. It was one of those that like, all you get is uh, the word read, R-E-A-D, and then a line, and then the word, word, and then another line. Do you know what that stands for? Read between the lines. Oh, yeah, I did the same thing, like, oh, right? We had 30 of these, right? We asked the staff to work on them individually. Then we asked how many did they get? One person got 17. I'm not gonna say names, but it was Anthony. <laughs> there were some of us like Lacey Rice, the office administrator and myself, that go, wow, where's the Tylenol? We're done, right? 
we're all wired differently. To say that we all have to be able to do all the same things is to miss the whole point of how God knit us together in our mother's room for a particular purpose. How are you wired to lead and to play? It's part of knowing yourself. We look at the second ingredient. um, It's knowing about your gifts. And I like to define, if personality is defined as how you are wired to lead and play, gifts for me is defined as how is God powerful in your gifts, your talents, and your skills. You know what you do well. You know what you're gifted for. How is God powerful in those gifts, talents, and skills? I like to think of gifts as, give me another slide, as a toolbox. Some of you have toolboxes that are like this. They have all the tools in them. They fit where they're supposed to fit. They're color coordinated. I do not own a toolbox like this. I have lots of tools, and the tools have been given to me down the way. Right? My grandfather gave me a set of uh, some tools. Uh, my father gave me some tools. I have them in a big um, you know, thing that has drawers, and you put the tools in them. Um, usually when I do a project at my house, I invite one of you to come over and help me. Uh, Paul Myler is most often the one that I invite to help. And I say, all right, Paul, I want to do this. And Paul says, hey, do you have this tool? And I say, Probably. And he says, that's okay, I'll bring mine. I mean, it's something to know what your toolbox has inside of it. It's good to know where the toolbox is. It's good to know what to use the tools for. I have to say that I could walk through Home Depot and Lowe's for like a whole afternoon just looking at all the different tools and thinking to myself, wow, I wish I knew enough to know what project I would do using this tool at my house, right? Knowing what tools you have at your um, uh, command, uh, knowing where they are, and knowing how God is powerful in these gifts and skills and talents that you have is one of those pieces in figuring out what your next step in discipleship is about. The third piece Uh, of an ingredients to call. The third piece around discerning your next step uh, has to do with passion. Now, passion's hard, right? Because passion's about the people, the places, and the issues that light your fire. It's hard to get at, right? People often say, well, well, Pastor, I can take a personality assessment and you can tell me how I'm wired. I can take a spiritual gifts inventory and you can tell me what my gifts are, but how do I find out my passion? Well, you, you might have to do a little bit of introspection, a little bit of journaling, a little bit of paying attention. But at the end of the day, what passion is, is it's what lights you up. It is those activities that you do that when you do them, time becomes fluid. It's those issues that you cannot go to sleep because you continue to think about those who are in the uh, cone of the hurricane that's coming. They are um, the issues that you do not have to be paid to work on. You give time after time after time towards them that you don't wonder what your pledge card says. You're so passionate about food insecurity that you are giving money and canned goods and hours of time to the food basket, Brazosport cares, you name it. Passion is not something that I can measure or have you fill out in inventory, but you know it when you see it. You know it when you're in it. 
You know that you would take every bit of wiring, every bit of tool and gift, and pour it into that passionate purpose if given the chance. I love to ask people in the midst of discerning passion, if money and time and location were no object, what would you spend the rest of your days doing? Boom, passion, written large. When we think about these issues, when we think about our next step, when we decide that having responded to the call of Jesus, that we must know who we are before we step again, it means knowing how we're wired, knowing how God is powerful in our gifts, skills, and abilities, and knowing what God has put inside of us as passion, what lights us up and propels us forward. I started today's discussion about paying attention to um, the difference between Mary Oliver saying, tell me what you will do with your one wild and precious life. And then Parker Palmer's, listen to your life. Before you tell it what you want to do, ask it what it intends to do with you. But I want to share, um, well, let's remind, go to the next slide. Right, Parker Palmer. But I want to end with the words of an old rabbi, Rabbi Susia. Rabbi Susia tells us at the end of your life, God will not ask you why you are not Moses, but he will ask you why you are not you. Why did you try to live out someone else's life that was not your own? Friends, discipleship is a two-step dance. It's hearing the call and taking the step. And having taken the step, firmly planting your feet, looking around, knowing yourself based upon how you're wired to lead and play, to know how God is powerful in your gifts, skills, and abilities, and to know the people, places, and issues that light you on fire. It'd be great if I could tell you all what your next step is. It'd be great if it was all uniform, if you've stepped one, Go to step 2A. But the reality is, is that plotting that place on the map has more to do with you listening to your life, to scripture, and to God than me giving you a recipe to complete. It's a powerful thing to know that your life, as Psalm 139 says, was derived from God, that you belong to God, and that in our best moments we will find our true destination in God when we find our call and take our next step. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.